Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? Um, okay, thank you, Philip. I'm getting better by the day, which is a nice thing after weeks of misery. Excellent. I'm pleased to hear it because I can tell you right now they have been weeks of misery. So <laughs> thanks for that. And how are you? Yep, good. Just life ticking over as it is. Well, that's nice. Uh, it should be ticking over. It should be ticking over. Actually, something funny did happen the other day, which it's not particularly Jewish or anything like that. But I, there has been a lot of talk this week about the new Doctor Who that was announced. It's caused a lot of upset because what they've done, and I can't stress this enough, is they've gone with a phenomenal actor. Now, <laughs> people are upset because that phenomenal actor happens to be black. And he's quite young, but I don't think that's the bit they're upset about. The actor's called Shuti Gatwa. He was in Sex Education, which is a Netflix TV series. A fantastic actor, really good choice for the role, but it has obviously upset some people. And I put a video on TikTok, as I tend to do when I try and wind people up, that basically said it was ridiculous this diversity by the BBC just pandering it's absolutely ridiculous how can it possibly be that once again we have a time lord a doctor who being played by a human and, <laughs> it, and it's really upset some people it's had about 400,000 views on TikTok already and growing lots of anger from people and it occurred to me because people are saying oh well he's he's the fourth scottish doctor who he's the 14th man or 13th man we've only had one woman have we ever had a jewish doctor who oh i'm not sure i'm telling you i don't think we've had a jewish doctor who and i think that's a campaign we should start we should have a jewish doctor who someone who can't solve mysteries on a friday night or saturday <laughs> someone who won't eat for 26 hours once a year you know i, I just think a jewish doctor who who do you think should play the Jewish Doctor Who. Well, me. I mean, <laughs> Prince um, going to say present company accepted. I would say Mandy Patinkin. Excellent choice. Yes, yeah. I would approve of that. Let's think who else it could be because they clearly are going slightly younger. Simon Amstel, by the way, he'd be a very good. He'd be Who. A Excellent um, Doctor Who. It's, but what's uh, fascinating about watching it on TikTok and everything else is people are getting really angry about something that's effectively a children's show. And ooh, you've got people That's saying, the most controversial thing you've ever said. Really? That it's, a, it's children's a children's show. show. Yeah, it is. Know, people get very angry about that because I know it's for everyone's for all ages. And yeah, I think those are good ideas for Time Lords. I'm going to give it more thought. Okay, good. So you said that wasn't a Jewish thing, but what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? Well, I did a gig recently with, we've had a, a guest on our show called Adam Bloom. Some of you will remember him. Fabulous, funny. funny. Friend of ours and stand-up comedian. And he and I drove to do a gig together for another comedian who will remain nameless because he's Jewish, but doesn't want the community that we gigged in to know that he's Jewish. What? I don't think it's that he's worried about anything. I just don't think he wants that to be what defines him in this rural village life that he has. He doesn't want to become not... the only Jew in the village. Right, exactly. I, I'd say it was more private than secret. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel the same, obviously. I barely mention it. <laughs> <laughs> so when Adam was talking about going on and referencing the fact that he was Jewish and everyone was Jewish, and he was asked not to say anything about this guy being Jewish. And it was like, oh, OK, that's interesting. So that was quite bizarre. There were two ginger people and three Jews. Right. <laughs> Adam considered himself to be half Jewish with ginger in his beard. So he liked to think that he was mixed race. <laughs> 
So uh, how about you, Rachel? What's the most Jewish thing that happened to you of late? Well, last night I did our friend Gary Knightley's SG1 Stevenage Radio's show all about musicals, which you did and spoke about last week. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because I think often when people book me because I'm such a out there Jewish act, they expect that anything I do is going to be super Jewish. So for the show, we have to choose like all these different categories of musical, like our favourite solo by a male or female performer, best ensemble number, favourite duet, the song before the interval, that kind of thing. And I'm sure people expect me just to go like Yentl, Fiddle on the Roof, Joseph, Falsettos. But I did actually have one from Fiddle on the Roof and the rest weren't. The most Jewish element of it, though, was nothing to do with that. But I shared with my family, like I always share what I'm up to. Mostly nobody pays much attention apart from my actual husband. But on this occasion, my mum was listening in from Israel and mm. I chose... And I, I, Stevenage Radio making it all the way to Jerusalem. Absolutely. Wow. And, uh, you know, very much boosted the profile of the station. And I discovered she was listening because I can't remember how it came up in my chat with Gary, but we were talking about the show Little Shop of Horrors. I, I don't know, we we're talking about with my parents never seen it. And I suddenly started getting WhatsApp messages from my mum saying about when they saw it, how many times they'd seen it, whatever. Like she wanted me to make it clear to the audience that, yes, in fact, she has seen Little Shop of Horrors. And um, I felt quite bad at the end that I hadn't brought that to the attention of people of Stevenage. So if you're listening now and you're from Stevenage, my mum and my dad have both seen Little Shop Forest multiple times, including when it first came out. Brilliant. And I presume they particularly like it because as Jews, who doesn't love a song that goes, feed me? <laughs> feed me. That wasn't the song I chose. But the thing is, that I don't think Gary had plans that this show was going to be interactive and afterwards, I was saying to him that when uh, we recorded this episode with Marcus Fried and Howard Reichman, one of the things that really bothered me afterwards, and I don't think I said anything to you at the time, was that Howard pronounces this particular word participatory. Right. And later in the show, and he says it a number of times, as mm -hmm. you'll hear when you listen yeah. to it, participatory, yeah. which I find very hard to say. And then I had to ask him a question about it. And I said, participatory which is how I would say it. But now I don't know what is the correct pronunciation. Is it an American English thing or do I just not know how to speak? The best way to think about it is participatory because the Tories went to parties where they said... <laughs> Did you just think of that now? Yes. You're such a clever comedian. but <laughs> We should point out that they are American. Well, he is American. Marcus isn't. Uh, but Howard is American. Therefore, the accent would have an effect on how he says words. But how would you pronounce it? If I said to you, how do you pronounce I it? I would probably think say participatory. You would say participatory as well. Participatory. Yeah. If, if I was going to take part in a participatory scenario, that's how I, I wouldn't say participatory. Yeah, I think that's an, that's an Americanized way of saying it. I mean, I have thought about this more than you could possibly imagine since that recording. It's been preying on my mind the whole time. So what you need to do as our listeners is, whilst you're listening to the episode, have a think about it, decide how you would pronounce it, maybe tweet in and tell us at you talking without the G, <laughs> and whether or not Howard says participatory, participatory correctly or not, bagel, bagel, after all. This is just us giving you a bit of a feed into the episode it's clickbait, if you will. Howard says this, you won't believe what happened next. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Hello. 
Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm orthodox, so if I was the new Doctor Who, the first thing I'd do would be to put a mezuzah on the front door of the TARDIS. And I'm reform, so if I was the new Doctor Who, the first thing my mother would do would be to introduce me to all of her friends as, this is my son, he's a doctor. This show is the audio equivalent of time travel. Everyone said it was impossible. It's a way into exploring our past and heritage. And once we've hit those buttons, we're never quite sure where we're going to end up. In each episode, we chat to two of our favourite Jews about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they a sonic screwdriver? Or, I'm not doing DIY, we're getting a man in. Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. Let's introduce our guests. Our first is an actor, writer, marketing consultant, and the award-winning author of the Kosher Sutras, A Yogi's Guide to the Torah, and the Kabbalah Sutras. It's Marcus Freed. Hello, shalom. Hi, Philip. Shalom, shalom. Our second guest is a producer, director, and writer, as well as a software entrepreneur. He's currently in pre-production on his new film, it's Howard Reichman. Hello, hello. Hello, both of you. Now, on this particular occasion, you appearing as friends. It's like a special friendship episode. I wondered how the two of you met. Like, how have we come to be here today? Well, I first met Howard. At a, there was a Jewish entertainment networking group out in Los Angeles, which was part of the reason I moved out here. You know, the amazing Jewish community and the arts, the way it's so alive. I was planning to do a music video, which I'd been planning to do for about 17 years, just hadn't got the act together. And it was a, it was a spoof on George Michael's Faith song. It opened, I guess it would be nice if I still had my foreskin. Why do non-Jews have more skin down there than I do? I'm in the wrong faith. Anyway, so <laughs> we, uh, we got we got Howard, got Howard on board, put a crew together, Howard directed it, and shtick video number one was out there and still is. And actually the, the woman who played my uh, fiance in it, Vanessa Block, she just produced the film Pig with Nicolas Cage. Worth checking out the movie. Howard, do you share that re- uh, that recollection? I think so. I just remember meeting this really um, remarkably energetic, fun guy with this awesome accent. And I followed him uh, downtown to a, uh, a studio where we shot this. And then I think we spent three weeks editing. I think it might, might have the record for the longest editing job for the shortest video ever. But he was very specific about what he wanted. He came in looking just like George Michael. It was incredible. And I said, this is a guy who I really want to want to work with and, and, and hang out with. And I just got into L.A. myself. So I was like, George Michael spoof video. I'm in. Let's do it. You know. <laughs> my husband actually did a George Michael spoof song with me and my friends when we were teenagers because he was our youth leader in B'nai Kiva. Nice. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that we always like to find out a bit about how our guests would describe their Jewish background. So you already know that I'm Orthodox and Philip's Reform, but Howard, what kind of a Jew are you? Oh, man. I hate the labels when it comes to Judaism because although when you're going for a shidduch, which thank God I, I don't have to do anymore, my wife won't let me. They ask you, you know, what what persuasion are you? So they want to know, are you Shomer Shop? Where do you hold? I had a great a, a great rabbi. I think it was Mati Berger in Jerusalem, and he answered it basically very simply. He said, "Are you participatory or non-participatory?" Because then it doesn't sound like a value judgment. You don't want to make anyone feel bad. Everyone's on their own learning curve. I'm sorry if this is too serious an answer for for a comedic uh, show. 
But I, no, I do find that it kind of lightens it, especially when people do find out that I am Shomer Shabbos and, and kosher and all that stuff. If I kind of describe it in a way that when I say participatory, it just means that like it's my own personal choice, moment to moment, week to week, year to year, whatever. And it's not it's not a value judgment of them. And it's also the most like sort of unorthodox answer they are not expecting to get. Yeah. So that that's that's where I come from. I'm I'm a participatory Jew. I love that, though. That's a great description. And like for anyone listening who's never heard like the word shidduch before or shoma shabbos so uh, shidduch is uh, when you have like a match made by a matchmaker which is my mom's job that's what my mom does um a fiddler on the roof style old-fashioned matchmakering and uh, shoma shabbos is sabbath observant and i'm not a matchmaker but i am sabbath observant and it's a weird thing in the entertainment industry there's not that many of us about no and, and it's scary because you usually hold out for the last minute to tell somebody <laughs> um, you're hoping that and then they say you know oh yeah we're, we're going to be working this many days you're just like please god not a friday night not a saturday not during the winter so i've had mine, some funny stories about that sorry mark so mine bialik is the only person to have the words shmini at seret in a professional contract it was for the big bang theory uh when that was shooting so that was pretty rare my friend uh shep rosenman who's her entertainment lawyer put it in he's also sean rachel but so you know anything right. possible but actually out here in los angeles in the pico robertson district there were quite a lot of people who are shot Shabbat and working in the entertainment industry as writers, directors, producers, showrunners, the whole thing, yeah. and, and of course actors. It's, it's an interesting community. Are there times where that's been an issue career-wise? Well, for me, it's been an issue more within the Jewish community. So I am a Jew. The <laughs> best way to describe what I am is rabbis behaving badly. <laughs> Rabbi's gone wild. I think that's Rabbi. a different video. <laughs> we could do a shit like that, actually. The place that I land is I became Shomer Shabbat Sabbath observant whilst at university in Birmingham and studying drama and English at the same time. I'm very much torn of, oh, am I going to act or am I going to be from, be religious? So I'm sort of between the two and I've done a lot of work in professional Jewish education using drama, using yoga, and also a lot of plays, one-man biblical comedies. And I've toured to something like 18 countries and, and done a whole lot of shtick and then the music videos as well. And, and now we're working on some, some films and about to shoot a romantic comedy. But I've also been cancelled by Orthodox organizations whilst continuing to practice as an Orthodox Jew and be in it. And also, I got smicha a few years ago as rabbi certificate, but I don't use it. So, you know, as they say on a Facebook relationship, it's complicated. <laughs> wow. But I still are we think allowed, and keep Shabbat. So. Are we allowed to ask what the accusation was? Because I'm sure you were innocent of your Yeah, life. yeah, sure. No, sure. So when I was taking my exams for the smicha for the rabbihood, do they call it that? It sounds ordination. Like the... Yeah, it's ordination. <laughs> Exactly. I sat this 12 hour exam and then they kept telling me I failed. And they're like, you failed. You failed. They gave me a certificate, but not the full certificate. So they gave me what's called Ravi Manhig, which is leader teacher. Okay. So they kept saying, you haven't got it right. You failed. You failed. And I got six rabbi friends to, to recheck my papers, including two people who were on the Beth Din, two Dayans, two judges on the rabbinical court. And everyone was like, no, you've passed. Finally, I, read, I said to the organization, is it something personal about me you don't like? And they're like, yes, we've looked you up online. You're not religious. Come back to us when you are. And so basically, they'd seen all the yoga and I once on Las Vegas on television on breakfast news had red spandex tights whilst teaching Torah and yoga anyway so they they retroactively cancelled me for stuff <laughs> I've done years before I started I just saw your application to be a lifeguard at the women's mikvah I'm not sure how that's going to fly <laughs> well actually when I was at yeshiva I was trying to petition our Rosh Yeshiva the head to open an open air mikvah with a diving board but never got anywhere anyway <laughs> I was actually cancelled 
from teaching about mikvah in that I was asked to become like a teacher of brides about family ritual purity as it's known uh, the special process of going in ritual bath and I got asked to do it and then I got told you're gonna have to pay for the training which I was like mm, okay all right well I'll still do it it's a nice thing to do and then just before the training began I had a call from a secretary at the London Rabbinical Court as you beautifully put it to say that they decided that as I don't cover my hair fully I shouldn't be teaching young brides awesome. that was my cancellation priorities you know yeah I, I was a bit like I don't want to be a, a member of a club that doesn't want me as a member kind of thing I do keep trying to be a member of the club that doesn't want me as you know there are so many different streams of the club that one of them will want us it's fine Howard have you ever been cancelled no and I feel kind of left out I haven't cancelled but I have had I think the original question was run-ins like with Shabbos and stuff like that um, yeah was your family participatory no we, we were not participatory, uh, participatory to that extent Shul was like a necessary evil for me. I got kicked out of Hebrew school twice. I really was a rabble rouser. I inspired other kids in a, in a rebellion against the Hebrew school teacher. In other words, I was the perfect candidate for smicha at Isha Torah because they, they look for guys like that. So uh, I got a free trip to Israel, which I exploited to see an ex-girlfriend of mine. And then when things kind of went south with her, a friend of mine who I'm still close with, uh, who's from South Africa, said, come on into the yeshiva. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll host you for free. Just go to a couple of classes, make the rabbis happy, and you do whatever you want. And I did, and I kept going to classes, and, and the brainwashing obviously worked. Uh, no, I just, <laughs> when I came back, I, was, I had just finished film school, and I was hooked up with a group at film school that were like really like these, these people were movers and shakers. One of them became the director of uh, Joker, and the Hangover series, for example. But um, I was supposed to work on this project called Manny and Low, and they wanted me as the first assistant director, which for those not in the biz, basically I'm responsible for keeping the project on track, sort of keep it moving along on budget. It's very diplomatic. You're dealing with the crew, you're dealing with actors, dealing with producers, and you're kind of keeping the whole thing going. And it was a privilege because this was going to be a great movie, which eventually did go to Sundance, and I think it won Sundance. But the problem wow. was, I just come back from Israel, and the shooting schedule was like six days a week back then, and it was Monday through Saturday. It really was my first big challenge. So I said, do you mind? Can we change the Saturday to Sunday? If you're going to do a weekend, just pick a Sunday. What's the difference? I said, listen, I'll make you a deal. We'll run the budget for shooting on a Sunday as opposed to a Saturday. If it comes out anymore, take the difference out of my salary. I don't care if I don't make any money on this. Let's just, can you do that? And I think, I don't know, they took a poll. They came back to me a couple of days later. Most everybody was in, I think one, maybe it was the director of photography. I'm not sure. Someone was like, no, it doesn't work location-wise because there are locations available to us on Saturday that aren't available on Sunday. So I lost the gig and then watched a lot of the people from that group go on to sort of, you know, proverbial fame and fortune. And, and, the, and the movie did very well at Sundance. So a short time later, there was a commercial that was coming up. They wanted me as a, a key person in the commercial. I have to be on set, but of course it was shooting on a Saturday. So I bargained with God and I said, I'll do this, I'll do that, whatever. And the payoff was, it wasn't just money. It was, I was going to meet all these very key people who are going to be, you know, in like any other business, it's relationships. And if they trust you and they know you and they can see your skills in action, they bring you on to the next thing because, you know, no one wants to reinvent the wheel. They want to work with good people they've worked with before. So anyway, this shoot, which happened on a Saturday, I'm not proud of it, but I am because I get to give it over, was a complete freaking disaster from start to finish. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I mean, to the point where I think we, we smashed the $20,000 lighting unit because it kind of tipped over onto a car and it was just, if God was ever bitch me for doing something stupid against against my own interests that was it <laughs>
I mean, none of this was my fault. It was like happenstance. But none of the people I met who I did this show, this commercial to meet, none of those relationships ever, ever went anywhere. And for me, that was a big way of kind of seeing through my own eyes that, you know, God runs the world. He's going to create the scenario as it needs to be. And it, it taught me a lesson. And I, you know, I've told that to other people who, because you always get whenever anyone enters the business and came back from Israel and has a Torah experience, they all, you know, oh, talk to Marcus, talk to Howard, talk to David Sachs, talk to someone in the business. Usually it's David Sachs, by the way, um, who has succeeded and can tell you how to navigate through this. And that's kind of one of my cautionary tales. Oh, David Sachs is a is a member of the Happy Minion, in fact, one of the founders. And he is probably one of the most well-known and successful contemporary Torah observant Jews who works in and is very successful in the business. He worked on The Simpsons. He worked on Third Rock from the Sun. When I say worked, he like helped originate Third Rock from the Sun all the way through. He's now doing a show on TBS called Final Space. And he really, you know, he walks the walk and talks the talk. He's a very inspiring, influential guy, a great friend. Friend, and someone you can really look to for that, and not just work-life balance, but Torah work balance, which is something we all in the business struggle with. Howard, it's very interesting hearing your background with that. For me, it kind of hit at the beginning. I was also at Aisha Torah. I made a video about that recently. I'm, I went to Aisha. Now I'm a believer. Check out the video. Anyway, a friend wrote to me at the time. He's like, your brain must be really nice and clean now that they've washed it. Okay. A few months after being there, I was back at university and I was keeping Shabbat for the first time. And it was the festival of Shavuot. It was a three-day at the time combined with Shabbat. And I was offered a job, my first ever acting job on the third day being in a commercial shot near Birmingham. And uh, I would have had to travel there. And I was just in existential dilemma. And finally, I agreed not to do it. It sort of broke my heart not to do this job. But then after that, it was always possible to say no because i kind of broken it. I was like, okay, fine. Problem was at the time, trying to combine these identities, I was looking for a role model of who is someone who's combining being observant as a Jew and being a professional in the industry. And the only one kicking around was David, oh, what's the Israeli cantor, the famous Israeli cantor who is in Les Mis, his name's just gone out of my mind. Judy um, Fisher. Judy Fisher, yes. Okay, yeah. thank you, Judy Fisher. And other than that, it was no one. I kind of kept seeing it. But then say coming out to Los Angeles, it was like an Atlantis. It was like kind of a lost Atlantis of like really some high profile people. It's amazing. And I was on a movie called Saving Lincoln, which was directed by Sal Litvak. His film and his wife Nina's film, uh, When Do We Eat? It's a fantastic Pesach comedy. Well worth checking out that cult. <laughs> and indeed, Saving Lincoln. And because Sal's Shabbat observer, he put the whole shoot around Shabbat. It wasn't filming. So the crew were like, this is amazing. We're getting Saturdays off. And and they, they worked it. Sal is also now the accidental Talmudist. He's got an incredible following and does terrific stuff online. Yeah. So that, that was kind of one. And then at drama school when I was in South Kensington, I used to stay in all of various bed and breakfasts throughout Earl's Court when we had Shabbat rehearsal. I was just kind of, I'd stow away food in all of like the, the pub theatres or wherever we were rehearsing. So there's always a way. It's just a case, you know, for, I would say for anyone who's thinking of it, who's going through this dilemma, just stay true. Like know where your boundaries are, whether it's the physical stuff, choosing the scripts you're happy with doing, knowing who's good to work with and who you don't want to work with and keeping your own power rather than giving it away. I really no, relate I to your stories, like both of you, because early days in uh, comedy, I used to work in theatrical comedy rather than stand-up. And I was part of a show that went to the Edinburgh Fringe, but they didn't give us the Saturdays off. And 
it was one of those things where my involvement didn't entail actively doing anything to break Shabbat, like or any of the rules. But I wasn't really somebody who did work on Shabbat. But then I kept thinking that if I don't help out, they're going to have to pay somebody extra. And we had like a microscopic budget to like subsist in Edinburgh. And then I was kind of causing problem for the team who never for one minute said like, I shouldn't, like there was no pressure from them. So I said, you know what, given that I'm, I'll come, I'll wear Shabbat clothes. I won't do anything that breaches any of the commandments and um, I'll just do my bit like get in get out and then that will be that and I found it so uncomfortable and just not who I was but I don't regret that experience because I think sometimes exactly what you say you have to kind of come up to the line to know where you stand and um, I thought you know what I've done that once there wasn't a problem problem but it was a problem for me and so that's the end of that just a button on my story is I'm doing a picture right now it's a teen comedy with I'm working with the producer from American Pie and Final Destination and we've been you know well since before COVID we've been working out you know schedules and budgets and money and you know it's a big project for me and we finally got around to the schedule which dictates you know how the budget will work and 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 everything and I finally broached the subject not taking on Shabbos directly but I said would it be possible to because I I pre-arranged this on my dining room table with note cards and everything would be possible to shoot not Monday through Friday but Sunday through Thursday and I justified it by saying that way we can get locations on a weekend that might not be available on a weekday and then Thursday night we can go late we can go into Friday Friday we can have a rehearsal and and meetings for Sunday shoot and blah 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 and I was doing everything I could to avoid saying the word Shomer Shabbos or Sabbath or anything like that I think I went on probably way too long and this producer came back to me and he goes yeah that's not a problem at all in fact the last movie I had a guy did that because he was uh how do you call it Orthodox Jewish <laughs> so whoever this other guy is who you worked with before thank you very much for paving the way that was <laughs> that was a welcome relief and a nice sort of button on all these other previous experiences the mountains just kind of opened up and there was a clear path through and i can't tell you how much of a stress reliever that was rabbi sack solovo shalom used to say non-jews respect jews who respect judaism Ooh, Ooh, that's oh a, that's lovely i like that <laughs> yeah i found that to be absolutely true yeah absolutely true so i never had a problem with working on shabbat because that was my level of Judaism, I was happy to do it. But I guess my line in the sand, which I found difficult, was some of the food that was supplied on set. So if you would turn up and you've got the catering truck there doing lunch, they wouldn't necessarily cater back in the day to kosher requirements. So for me, that was the issue I had turning up on a film set. You either had to let them know that you were Jewish and could they cater for that? And that, that meant putting your head above the parapet a little bit more than was necessary if they didn't want to get involved with the catering. But thinking about Jewish foods, favorite Jewish foods, maybe there's a meal that you have a particularly fond memory of. Are there any Jewish food stories that you can share with us now? Not necessarily about on set, but your lives in general. Marcus. Since moving to Los Angeles, I learned some great food practices like keeping gluten-free, going sugar-free, going dairy-free, trying to keep organic, avoiding <laughs> meat when possible. So recently I was back in London, I moved back a bit during the pandemic and going to someone's Shabbat table in Hendon saying, yeah, do you mind gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free and vegan? They're like, what? You know, so uh, <laughs> but now I'm kind of like, 
I'm, I'm easing. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's sort of wild over over here because you could get like a kosher organic chicken for $13 or something, you know, the equivalent of nine quid. And then in England, it's about 20 pounds, 18 to 20 pounds. It's like off the charts. I have a lot of memories of sort of eating at shiver houses, like, like kind of with, with the family. Sort of, you know, the sadness of the event, but the warmth of being with family and tea. This is now free, Proustian Free Association, but the Freed family tea with my late grandparents, God rest their soul, tea was always at 4 p.m. And we would sit in the lounge until 3.55 p.m. Then move at 4 p.m. into the, the dining room. And it was always like very halachic. No one was keeping Shabbat. It was very, very ordered. So the milk would go in first and then the tea and, and so on. And then it was years later, I discovered that 4 p.m. was high tea in British India. So somehow that made it into the Freed family. What was on the table? What was served? Grandma's apple pie and a bit of ice cream. And grandma's apple pie is very much the memory to go Stanislavski, the great theatrical teacher, this sort of sense memory. So that would take me back there. But grandma would never tell anyone the recipe. And we discovered it, but after she'd passed away. So it came to grandma Shiva and I was giving the speech and I said, every family has secrets. Some have secrets which are darker than others. Right now, I'm going to reveal one of our long hidden family secrets. Here is the recipe to grandma's apple pie. And then I read through. <laughs> Turns out it was apples from their garden and some pastry and sugar from Sainsbury's. Done. <laughs> Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think food at Shiv House is, is definitely key. If you're there, you're mourning the loss of somebody, but you also want to know what cake is going to be available. Someone did a clip, uh, they did a short film in on a thing in memory of their father. It's called I Shiver, and it's on YouTube. It's about an app where if you're hungry, you see the local Shiver houses in the geographical region, like who, what they're serving, who the caterer is, and then pictures <laughs> of the mourners along with biographies, something about the dead person, so you can go up wish them a long life <laughs> it's, it's very good that's that actually is... the sequel to wedding crashers you've got shiver crashers <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a genius idea though like i would totally i've got all kinds of jewish apps but that one i think i would use and actually you could combine it with j dates so you just meet them at a shiver house <laughs> and there's something in there let's we could be million. <laughs> well one of my favorite jokes that i still manage to tell is about my grandma's obituary that i read out and uh the punchline of it is is that by the end of the obituary, it's actually a Lonely Hearts ad for me. You know, the, 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 she, she's been there by her three daughters and seven grandchildren, including Philip, 33, average bill, good sense of humor, that kind of thing. That's brilliant. So, it's, like, it's like the advert that goes into the classifieds or, or into, in the, the into the JC, the yeah. Paper. Howard, how about you? Do you have I'm any... just loving this. You guys can just keep talking. <laughs> I just, I'm loving this. Food. Um, well, first of all, I always feel guilty eating food at a shiver house. I'm like, man, this lox is delicious, but... Oh, I would have loved it more than anybody. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I can't. you know, food. The only thing that comes to mind, and I don't think any Sephardim will understand this, is gribbonus. You guys know what gribbonus yeah. is? Yes, yeah. and fried I'll tell you what, chicken. You're not the first person to say really? how much they love them on this show. Yeah, go for it. Extol okay. the virtue. I'm sure I'll see the other ones in the cardiac unit any day now. Um, it's, <laughs> a, it's the fastest way to a heart attack delivered by grandma. Yeah, my grandmother used to make it's basically ch fried chicken fat, which is, you know, for all any non Jews 
Jews listening to this are unaffiliated Jews. It's basically kosher pork rinds. And it is, it's, <laughs> it's incredible. And a friend of mine has resurrected it using a Los Angeles type recipe, which is not frying them, but baking them, but it's still chicken skin. And he gets it from a local butcher for free because they basically throw it away. And he comes out with this delicious gribbiness. It's, it's beyond, beyond delicious. I find the idea um, that they're trying to kind of sanitize Griveners into like a healthy snack by baking them really offensive it's like low fat fat where's the joy oh it's it's still good it's still good when you come to la we'll make sure you get some i think we probably could ship some to you in its current crunchy form it could survive the trip are there any other jewish foods that you're particularly fond of i was fond of kasha how do you pronounce it i've always, I've always said it kasha varnishkas i used to like it and then there's a story my sister and i i don't know for some reason food would stay in our refrigerators growing up till it became a science experiment and one time i I went into the fridge and I opened up this little plastic thing and it was kasha and varnishkas, but from like two months ago. And it now had like a little bit of hair on it and it might've been turning green. I'm not <laughs> sure. Cause I closed it up quickly. And like any other, like 11 year old, I threw it right back in the fridge. And then I happened out of the corner of my eye a couple hours later, see my sister wonder what the thing was open. I'm go, Oh my God, closed it up, put it back in. We both went out. And I think it was maybe an hour or two later. We come in and we find my dad sitting in front of the TV, happily eating from this, same plastic thing, the same kosher varnishkas that we both <laughs> that stank and we rejected it. So after that, I have a healthy mistrust of kosher varnishkas and and a new um nickname for my father. We call him Iron Gut Reichman because there's nothing that can, <laughs> can you know <laughs> nothing can take that man down. Thank God. What are they? It's like bow tie pasta with uh what's kosher? It's like wheat. it's buckwheat. 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 Whoever put this together was like a marketing genius. I don't I don't get it. Yeah. Two great tastes that go great together. I've made it. I made it for the first time the week before we had the boys from yid life crisis on this show they're great. They're great. Um, they are they are they're fabulous yeah. little message here from russell who has eaten my kasha varnishkas and said it was great thank you very much i appreciate your uh, approval it's the weirdest thing because it sounds so yiddish but there's no way that that recipe originated in my ancestors in some shtetl because where were they getting bow tie pasta from in the middle of a pogrom like i don't get it it's a very odd combination it's delicious though pogrom food that's an interesting take it's I the varnishkas part tried... that makes sounds jewish yeah so weird like the bow tie no we didn't have who was making bow tie pasta like our ancestors were really busy with other stuff but anyway it's, it's become part of like ashkenazi more american than british but like um ashkenazi food heritage isn't it it's like a staple yeah what, what can we serve how about kasha varnishkas I tried to get Hebrew National Sausages to sponsor my video Living La Vida Kosher. And I even, <laughs> I even held, held some Hebrew National Sausages when I was in bed at the beginning. They didn't respond. Russell, I don't know if he was caught up with all the food talk, but he, he did send a message saying, let's try bacon next. I don't know <laughs> if he means the subject matter or the food. <laughs> But this is actually a really lovely episode because, Marcus, you and I have a connection through my brother and various other social elements in our lives as well. You and Howard obviously know each other very well. But we, all, we want to know about the other connections you might have in your lives, other Jewish interesting connections in this section that we like to call Six Degrees of Can't Eat Bacon. Marcus, is there someone who you have a particularly Jewish connection with? So it's an interesting question, Philip, in terms of these six degrees of can't eat bacon. I eat in kosher restaurants, I also eat 
eaten vegan restaurants. There's a lovely vegan restaurant in Silver Lake, an area of Los Angeles. And we're sitting at a table, and then the next table was Kevin Bacon and his wife. Oh. So one degree or one table of, of this connection. Um, <laughs> did you talk to him? Did you? No, he was eating. Don't You know, eating. generally the rule, don't go and bother yeah. people just you know don't bother them while they're eating just hold you know do a selfie on your phone and they may or may not be in the background but no we didn't you mentioned yentl in the introduction which is very interesting so my friend jeremy kagan who is an emmy award-winning director writer who directed i mean so much stuff uh, ali McBeal, west wing chicago hope and, and lots of movies his one of his very early movies was the chosen which is a very famous jewish movie which he did with Chaim potok and in another one of his films he cast Mandy Patinkin in his first role, his first ever role, just a small role. And the lead in that one was Richard Dreyfuss. A few years later, he was speaking with Barbara Streisand and she was looking who to cast. Um, Jeremy told her to cast Mandy Patinkin in it. So that was kind of an interesting uh, Yentl connection. But then in Los Angeles, there are other connections. I don't want to share the personal connections because prefer to keep some discretion. But um, I think the most interesting Jewish connections for me of all time was with uh, Rabbi Sachs. Oliver Shalom. And he was very supportive over the years. He was tremendously supportive of what I've been doing in the arts and the creative education. So despite sort of some the criticism that I occasionally run into on the outside through being just more, I don't know, more creative, not through trying to cause trouble, but just through saying, you know, this is how I see it. In the background, having Rabbi Sachs's, you know, support made a a huge difference and always will. How did you first come across him? I was working for the Union of Jewish Students as their education director and I had a meeting with him and then he came over to our national conference. I've got stories about the conversations but he was supportive of the, the creativity. I just want to say it's funny that you mentioned The Chosen because when I first uh, came across, I think it was the book before the film, I misunderstood what it was about and I thought it was about a bridegroom and it was Yiddish, it was the Chosen. Brilliant, brilliant. Love it. Howard, how about you? Is there anyone with whom you have an interesting Jewish connection? I think every Jewish connection is interesting in some way. Oh boy. Before Matis Yahu was Matis Yahu, he was Matt Miller. We went to the same Chabad house and uh, he used to perform for me and perhaps one or two other people in their stairwell in the rabbi's apartment building because the stairwell had great acoustics. And he would rap and do his thing. And we're like, wow, he's really Jewish beatboxing. It's pretty amazing. His lyrics, his voice was beautiful. And we're like, great, but like, what are you going to do with this? You know, terrific. He also, I think, met his wife in my apartment, his, his first wife in my apartment. She was editing a video about Shomer Nagia, which essentially is the, is, do you want to explain it? Or no, no, you can, men and women fine. don't men and women don't in in uh, in orthodoxy men and women don't touch prior to marriage she was a film student and i live right by nyu where i went to school as well she was doing a documentary on on shomer nagia which is not just embraced by orthodox jews but it became sort of um a thing among different groups of people around the world and and women and purity and this whole idea and so we told her we, sh we should call it can't touch this because that song was like big at the time and <laughs> and matis yahoo being a balchuva up and coming in in his in his observance and an interesting entertainer at the time also she filmed him as part of this documentary and they would come 
come over to my apartment where I was there. So they were Shomer Nagia, not touching, not having any kind of relationship because I was the third wheel in the thing. Um, and they were safe to kind of get to know each other in my apartment. And that was a nice, interesting. Uh, that's wild. I was just thinking about you being the kosher gooseberry. Okay, that's a word I don't know. Gooseberry is it's a little green third whale. People in England. I don't know. I didn't know it was a British thing. Is that a British thing? I didn't, I didn't British think thing? it was. But basically, like, like if, you, <laughs> if you are like um, intruding on uh, relationships, let's say when my husband and I first got together, we kept it really quiet. We didn't tell people that we were together because we're friends. We're part of the same friendship group. And we thought there'd be too much pressure. So uh, people just used to come out with us. Like we'd go on a date and they'd come with us because they think it's just like the old days when we were hanging out. Ah, so like a, so, so like the third person is the gooseberry. Yeah. Or the Rachel, can I ask you a question? Sure. So looking at your background, it looks like there's some Torah commentaries on the top shelf, then a skull yeah. with a shaitel on. Yeah. Is that like a Hamlet reference or like towards the, the transience of life? It is um, Yorick. It's because I was the assistant director for a production of Hamlet and I got to keep Yorick. And then I recently had to do a self-tape for something where I wore my mum's old shaitel her old wig and I thought that was quite a fun place to keep it so now my mum's wig and Yorick are sitting there in front of indeed the Torah commentaries. We do a weekly Patreon video and it was talked about as part of the video where Rachel was talking about the most Jewish thing that happened to her that week was realising how much she looked like her mother when she wears this shaitel and then she decided yeah. to put it on the skull. <laughs> how absolutely morbid. I did say to my mum this is nice because this is one day what you look like but she wasn't that keen on that. It's interesting because it says in the Mishnah in Prikalva in Ethics of the Fathers better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting than the house of joy because it's in the house of mourning we've become that much more aware of that line between life and death and actually what's happening not that mm -hmm. it's better to do a podcast on death rather than a comedy podcast but also as we know from earlier the house of death is often the house of eating so time. <laughs> Talking about the most Jewish thing that's happened to us this week, we neglected to ask you that question at the beginning because we had such a strong start. So, Marcus, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you lately? It's a great question. This is Hashkacha Pratit, so divine providence. I'm out in Los Angeles for three months and needed to get a car for three months. Renting one, just normal rental, kind of costs a fortune. And I was just trying to sort of find a way of doing it more budget-wise. Anyway, I was taking a walk uh, to one of the shops and bumped into a friend of mine, uh, Rabbi Moshe Levin at Basebook Salo, a great big Chabad shawl out here. He's fantastic. And I happened to say, oh, yeah, I'm looking for a car for the next three months. And he said, oh, I know someone who's about to go into rehab for three months. Maybe he can use their car. So two days later, I go and pick up this guy's Mustang convertible, drive into the airport. And I'm driving Mustang Sally. Wow. That also feels like the most LA thing to happen to you this week. Very, very Los Angeles. <laughs> That's brilliant. Do you have to give the car back? Depends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, uh, I'll be looking after it very carefully. Absolutely. Howard, do you have something you can share? Yeah, the most Jewish thing for me, and this is kind of all time since I've been going back and forth to like Israel and to Australia, where I have a, a beautiful 15 year old daughter. And for me, the most Jewish thing, it's a very moving thing, is that no matter where I go, and I have to keep Shabbos or there's a hog. There's always people who, as different as they might be, you know, skin color, background, ethnicity, you know, any, anything far and wide. If they're Jews and they're participatory, there is such a like 
a genetic love and connection between people. So as a result of, of these various experiences, I have just friends around the world who rarely, if ever, or never meet each other, but we all have very unique, very deep, meaningful relationships that I think are based in the fact that we we kind of come from the same place thousands of years ago. It's, it's the only way I can explain it. They're, they're nice individuals, but if we weren't connected on that Jewish level, and it's not even religious. I mean, even my friends who aren't religious have an awareness and an understanding and appreciation of, of Shabbat and the other holidays. So it's not even a matter of if they're religious or not, but there's just some kind of intrinsic connection that is really beautiful. One of the first times when I became observant, we went to a family wedding in Ohio where I didn't know anybody. And they said, oh, our neighbor keeps Shabbos. Why don't I arrange for you to have dinner over there? And in one other situation, can like two strangers, because my father came with me, it was a beautiful experience for both of us, just kind of crash someone else's house for dinner who they didn't know, but yet we have so much in common. And it was just such a an amazing, unique experience. And And as someone who hosts a lot of people in Los Angeles, it's always such a pleasure to invite people into our home to share that experience because I know what it's like for them, where they come from, uh, you know, Iceland in some cases or Perth or, or different parts of the world. That to me is the most Jewish thing. Lovely. Well, that's nearly all we've got time for, but how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call, you don't write? Normally we'd allocate 20 seconds to do this, but for you, 30. Marcus, how about you? I'm on social Instagram at Marcus J. Freed, also YouTube channel, Marcus J. Freed. Check out some of the fun stuff there, like the Hebrew Hamilton, Living La Vida Kosher. If you're looking for some more Torah content, I've got my books on Amazon, the Kosher Sutras, the Kabbalah Sutras, the Festive Sutras, all combining yoga and, uh, and Judaism and Torah. And if you're interested in finding out what's coming next, you can sign up at my website, marcusjfreed.com. And thank you for inviting me to be part of your, your lovely podcast. Thank you for coming. It's been lovely chatting. Howard, where can our audience find you? You could find me on Twitter. I think my last post is from April 2020 uh, <laughs> at Howard Reichman. I'm not much on social media. A lot of, the, I, I have a movie coming out probably in a year and a half. So stay tuned. <laughs> Tentatively called Rock Yard from the producer of American Pie. And uh, I, I work with other screenwriters and tv writers on story and script consulting so um if anyone's remotely interested in that they can always hit me up otherwise i just hope they enjoyed the show thank you it's really a pleasure to meet you guys and, and thank you for uh allowing me to be a part of this i think it's great well i've really enjoyed this and from now on i will always think of marcus as the jew whose dietary requirements make him complicated to cook for and howard as the jew who will eat anything except for hairy kasha varnishkas and as my grandfather used to say I love seeing your smiling faces arrive and I love seeing your little tuchuses leave, which is a good thing as we've come to the end of this week's show. All that's left for us to do is to thank our guests, Howard Reichman and Marcus Freed. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at you talking without the G. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share the show with everyone you know and check out patreon.com forward slash you talking still without the G. If it's not a chutzpah to ask, we'd love you to leave us a great review as it helps other people find the show. And join us next time on you talking to me. <laughs> Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Wolkin and judged by our mothers.
a couple of things have come up from this conversation. First of all, I'm a little bit broigus that Russell has tasted your cash of vush, vush, what they whatever they're called. Vishtunkana. Vishtunkana. And I haven't. <laughs> Next time I make it, I'll, I'll bring you some for sure. Uh, I was hungry before we started recording this. I am no longer hungry. Mm-hmm.